Uh, so good to see everybody here today. We are officially two weeks into being one church at two locations. Amen, somebody. Can you guys give Shaw a big round of applause? Thank you for joining us, Shaw. Good to see you. Um, wow, I said good to see you, but I mean good to be seen by you. I can't actually see you, but we feel you. Amen. All right. Um, it is so good to be here today. We're in a series called Upside Down which we launched last week. And this series is all about what happens to our life when Jesus becomes our king. Because there's so, many, there's so many situations in our life that Jesus just turns upside down when we invite him into our life to be our king. And, and sometimes he doesn't just turn us upside down, he turns us inside out. And, um, and I'm thankful for the times that he turns us upside down and inside out because there's a lot of things in our life every once in a while that, that, that get sideways and he just needs to flip them over, make them the right way. You know what I'm talking about, somebody? So this morning, what I want to do is I want to start by reading a really beautiful, powerful scripture uh, and, and, and story where we get to see what Jesus does in this profound way. And I'm excited because I think he's going to I think he's got something. I believe in my heart that he's got a word for somebody today uh, that's not only going to help you flip some stuff upside down in your life, but it's going to turn some things inside out uh, in your life today. Let me tell you what I mean. Let's start with the scripture. It's in Matthew uh, chapter 5. And this is a story about uh, Jesus. He's up in Galilee and he's teaching and preaching. And some Pharisees and some teachers of the law, some legal experts, some lawyers came to Jesus from Jerusalem. And they asked him, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Now, what I want you to know is that Jesus' disciples uh, were, were surrounding him in Galilee. And he's up there teaching. And a contingent of religious elites from Jerusalem, like the big wigs from the big city, came all the way, two, two, uh, two days travel, all the way up to the little uh, uh, town there in Galilee. And they said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? And so the question that I have when I read the scriptures, what tradition of the elders was so important that they broke, that these guys had to come all the way from Jerusalem to, to, to challenge Jesus on this? Did they, were they lying? Were they cheating? Were they committing some grave felony? Were they painting graffiti on the temple? Like, what was it that, were they murdering, adultery? What was it? What were Jesus' disciples doing? And they say, they tell you right here, they don't wash their hands before they eat. Can you believe that? I mean, seriously. They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, when I read that, I think that doesn't seem like, a, I mean, it's not good to not wash your hands before you eat. Amen, somebody. I mean, you should wash your hands. You know, just simple hygiene. But for it to be a capital crime, I don't know. I don't know if you need to send a contingent from Jerusalem. But there's a little more to their question than meets the eye. And we're going to come back to that in just a little bit. So, Jesus then, next scripture, Jesus called the crowd to him. So, so they come to him and say, why aren't you guys following the traditions of the elders? You're not, you're not, you're not washing your hands. In other words, you're not... You're not uh, observing the external rituals. You're not ex observing the external rites that we all observe. And by observing those rites, we're demonstrating to the world that we're righteous. And your guys aren't doing it, right? So that's what they say. And then Jesus says, you know what? Let me get everybody in on this conversation. So, you know, if you're going to challenge Jesus, he actually will challenge you back. All right? So he brings the crowd. He says, everybody, I want you all to be in on this. The crowd to him. And he said, listen and understand. What goes into, somebody say into into somebody's mouth does not defile them 
but what comes out of, somebody say out of, what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. So he ta he's taking to task what the Pharisees just said. Why are you not doing, the, you know, the ritual? And he said, actually, it's not what goes in, it's what goes out. Okay, and he said that in front of everybody. He kind of put the Pharisees on blast a little bit in front of everybody. So Jesus' disciples are a little nervous about this because these guys are high ranking. So Jesus' disciples come over to Jesus and they say to Jesus, next scripture, they say to Jesus, then the disciples came and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? So they're going, you know, Jesus, you're actually saying some things that are bothering the religious leaders and you really shouldn't say that. Can I just say, Jesus, I'm just going to give you a warning. He doesn't care that much about having offended the Pharisees. Um, let me tell you something. If you have never been offended by anything that Jesus has said, you probably have not read any of the Gospels because Jesus is an equal opportunity offender. He says a lot of things that, that might hit you kind of sideways. All right, because his truth is pure truth. We have relative truth. Well, if we kind of bend it over here or change it a little bit over here, right? And that's good for us. But Jesus brings it direct. And, and a lot of times Jesus says things that we just go, man, that, that kind of blasted me, right? So that's what Jesus says. And they, they said they were offended. Jesus replied, leave them. Don't worry about them. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, everybody's going to fall into the pit. Don't worry about the religious leaders. I'm telling you something that they don't know, right? Then Peter pipes up in this conversation. And you got to love Peter because Peter says, Jesus, can you explain this parable to us? Now, normally, Jesus, uh, par uh, no normally Peter's comments, I think, are coming from a really genuine place, his questions a lot of times. But sometimes, sometimes we don't understand something because we don't want to understand something. Do you know what I mean? I'm going to need some amens. I'm going to need some back and forth here. Sometimes we act like something is more complicated than it actually is because we don't want to observe or we don't want to follow it or we don't want to obey it. And so we pretend we don't understand it because if we don't understand it, then we can't obey it. Right? You know what I mean? Okay. Three Christians in the house today are tracking with me right now. So, so, so G Peter says, I, I don't understand. Can you explain this a little more? And then Jesus says, um, are you guys still so not until like not he's he's dull are you still so dull why don't you understand i actually looked it up in the greek to see if there was like a softer way no no it's actually harder he's like look i've given you all the dots and you guys just aren't connecting the dots that's what it means in the greek you you gotta i'm i've been telling you this stuff but you're not connecting it are you still so dull jesus asked him don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into somebody say into into the stomach and then out the body out of the body say out of this is straight biology, people. This is physiology 101. It's not complicated. It goes in, it comes out. All right? That's what he says. Next slide. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. And these, these are the things that defile a person. Then he says this. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These, he says, these are the things that will defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands, that does not defile a person. In other words, your external coming into your internal is not what defiles you. What defiles you is what's inside that comes out. It's not outside in. I'm going to preach for a couple minutes today on a topic called inside out. 
inside out. Tell somebody it's a heart thing. Would you tell them it's a heart thing? It's a heart thing. Let them know it's a heart thing. Amen. It's a heart thing. Um, a lot of times in our life, we, 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 we try to line up our life in a way that will make other people believe that things on the inside are good, right? But Jesus says, I don't, I'm not interested at all in that practice. I want things to be good on the inside because when they're good on the inside, then they'll start to come and show fruit on the outside, all right? Uh, several years ago, I read a book. Uh, it's called Catch Me If You Can. I don't know if you've ever read this book. It's the true story of a real fake by a guy named Frank Abagnale. And they made a movie out of it. Leonardo DiCaprio was in it. It wasn't a great movie. Can't recommend the movie, but it's a good book. Recommend the book. Uh, the book, I mean, the movie's okay. But um, the book is, is about Frank Abagnale. And Frank Abagnale, from the time he was 16 until the time he was about 22, 23, uh, was like a notorious con man. International con man all around the world. And he was amazing at it. I mean, he was incredible at it. He was forging checks when he was like 16 years old and people were, and he was, you know, opening bank accounts and people were actually going for this. And, and he, his hair kind of grayed a little bit early, which made him look older than he was. And, and he kind of just had this whole scam going and he kept getting deeper and deeper. And at one point he even pretended that he was uh, a pediatrician at a hospital in Georgia. And he lasted in that job for about nine months. As a, as a head pediatrician at a hospital in Georgia. In another case, he, he pretended to be an FBI agent uh, with U, like the U.S. District Attorney's Officer, uh, and, and he was inside the U.S. Uh, uh, Bureau of Prisons, and he was pretending to be somebody that he wasn't, and he was living this whole fake life. At one point, he pretended to be a lawyer, and he got a job um, at uh, the Louisiana State Attorney's Office, and he told everybody that he graduated from Harvard Law, and he created a diploma, you know, on his little copier machine, and everybody bought this. Like, he was living this huge lie. His biggest phony life was when he pretended to be a Pan Am pilot. And he literally got a, got a Pan Am outfit from a costume shop. And, you know, put little seals on it and put this whole external appearance thing. He ended up flying about 250 flights as a passenger, not as a pilot. Like, he actually did not fly a plane. He did say that at one point, the pilot handed the controls over to him at 30,000 feet. And he was like, I should probably not be flying this plane right now. Um, he, he, he traveled all over the country. He, he was in like 26 different countries. He would land in a country. He would charge all his room to Pan Am. He would charge all of his food. For years, he just lived this big phony life. He was a big, big fake and having a great time. But it actually got to be to where it was so anxiety inducing because he got, it became so hard to put on an external front that didn't match his internal disposition that he said when he got caught, he finally did get caught, it was a relief. He was put into prison. For years he was in prison. And he said it was actually more liberating to be himself while locked in a solitary confinement jail cell than it was for him to be out free in the world pretending to be somebody else. Now, I don't, I doubt that any of us are going to have a career as an international con man. Maybe, but you know, uh, hopefully not. But, but, but I would say that every single one of us knows what it's like to present an external performance that doesn't match our internal disposition. Do you know what I'm talking about this morning? All of us know what it's like at some point in our life to put on a little bit of a facade, to put on a little bit of a veneer, to put on a little bit of a front that doesn't actually match who we are. 
to be a little bit religious, to do some external performance that doesn't match our internal reality. Does anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? Come on, somebody. If you admit it, then you're actually not doing it. All right? So just admit it with me right now. All right? This will get you right with God if you just praise the Lord with me right now. Uh, so, so what was happening is what happens in a lot of our lives. He's putting on a false front. And it is exhausting to try to keep up appearances. It's exhausting to try to pretend that you're something that you're not. It's exhausting to try to display a, a version of yourself that isn't the real you. It's exhausting. And we've all done it. We've all been there. Right? And the reason we do it is because the same reason that the Pharisees did it. We want applause. We want accolades. We want to be appreciated. We want to be acknowledged. We want people to like us. Right? And if we reveal who we really are, then people might not like who we really are. So we have to put on a false front. We have to put something fake on. In fact, we, just, we, we, we come up with elaborate ways to do, the, to do this. Elaborate strategies. Like the humble brag. Anybody ever heard the humble brag? Anybody ever... Anybody know the humble brag? The humble brag is when you're so good at putting on a false front that you actually put on a false humility in order to hide the brag, but you're still bragging, but you're pretending to be humble. Do you know what I mean? People do it online all the time. I'm, I've never done it, ever. I'm so humble, I've never done that. Okay, all right, that's a good example of one. Um, you know, I, I, I can't believe I aced my exam. You know, I didn't even study, right? It's just amazing. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag, right? You know, the Pharisees were brilliant, brilliant at the humble brag. There's a great story in Luke where there's a Pharisee and he's in the temple and he's praying and he's praying. He's doing the humble brag. It's the first, you know, uh, uh, first known version of the humble brag, you know, written in history. It's the, it's the Pharisee. He's in the temple and he goes and he prays and there's a tax collector in the temple, a sinner, like a low life in the temple. And the Pharisee goes, God, I'm just so thankful that, you know, I'm just grateful that I'm not a bad person. I'm thankful that I'm not a liar or a cheat or a thief or a slanderer. In fact, Lord, and he notices the, the low life and he goes, Lord, I'm just so thankful that I'm actually not like that person. How you've been so good to me, making me so unlike this low life over here, right? And I just, and Lord, I just thank you that I just give 10% of my income to the temple, Lord. And I'm just so thankful that I fast two times a day. I'm just so, th right? It's a humble brag. He's acting like he's being humble. And, and meanwhile, the, the tax collector over here says, God, can you please have mercy on me? I'm a sinner. I'm broke. I'm messed up. My heart's corrupt. I need your help. I'm dying over here. Everything in my life is busted. Lord, can you please help me? Jesus says, which one of these two do you think was justified, right? It's, it's, it's not the one with the humble brag, right? But we all do this. We all try to put on a front at different times in our life. Because we want to be appreciated and we want to be liked. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be appreciated and liked. But when you place your identity in other people's perception of your performance, instead of in God's assessment of your heart, you are winding down a very deadly track. You're heading down a very, very dangerous path, right? We do this. I, I, there are some of you here that are in school, you're in college, you're in graduate school, and you are worried and you are filled with anxiety and you are terrified that you might not end up getting the job that you want or maybe you won't even graduate or you're not going to get the grade that you need and your heart is all tied up inside and you're worried and you're afraid and you're scared but you don't want people to see that because you want people to think that it's all good and so you come out and you put on a presentation as if everything is cool everything is gravy but inside you're dying right 
Some, some of you that are in marriages that, where there's a distance and there's a coldness and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a chasm between you and you don't know if you even like each other. In fact, maybe you're kind of sure you don't like each other and you don't even know how to get back together and you're not even sure how to even begin the process, but you don't want people to know how bad it is. And so you come out with a front as if all is gravy and all is good and you're keeping up appearances and your external doesn't match your internal and inside you're dying, but outside everything is fine. It's a veneer. It's a facade. Some of you that are in uh, dire situations at work, you've lost a job or you're getting ready to lose a job or you've lost three jobs or you, 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 just, you just don't know if you're going to be able to maintain this position. Contract's about to end. Bills are piling up. You're worried. You're freaking out. You're terrified. You're not quite sure what to do. But you, can't, you just can't let anybody know because if they know, then they're going to think less of you. And so you put on a front as if everything is good. Come on, somebody. Don't, don't act like nobody here has put on a front at some point in your life, right? Some, some of you are in, in, in family. You have family dynamics that are so messed up. There's resentment. There's disappointment. Your kids are estranged from you or your parents are estranged from you or, or, or there's just a big gap between you and them. And it's just messed up. But you don't want anybody to know. So you put on the shiny face and you try to walk out this walk as if everything is cool. But inside, it's just broken and it's hurting. I'm going to give you a one-point sermon today. Right? Just a one-point sermon, and then there will be some sub-points. Okay? But just so you know, just one point. Here's what I want to tell you today. If you've ever experienced this reality of your exterior not aligning with your interior, here's my one point for you. Okay? God will only heal what you reveal. Come on, somebody. Come on. Come on, somebody. This is truth. God will only heal. God will only heal what you reveal. God's only going to heal the things that you will expose to him. That's all he's going to heal, what you will reveal. Um, I, sometimes you have people in your life that help you keep it real. You know what I mean? Anybody? My wife is um, one of these people in my life. The person in my life that helps me keep it real. Because I don't know if you know my wife, but my wife is not overly concerned with other people's perceptions of her. She's just not. She's just like, this is who I am. So, you know, this is how I roll. And I'm, I'm more like the, the Pharisee, just to be real. You know, I'm more like the Pharisees. I'm more like concerned about external, you know, external perception. Like, I don't want to just be a good pastor. I also want to be perceived to be a good pastor, right? I want to, I want people's perceptions of me matter more than they do of my wife. Like, I'm more, I'm more fake than her. She's more real than me. All right. So, so, she, so the other day, we were out on a date. We go out on a date on Friday night. We come home from the date. I go to bed. Saturday morning, I wake up, and my wife is sitting in bed next to me, and um, she's looking on social media, and she's got a big smile on her face. And she says to me, this is what she said verbatim. You ready? She said, do you think it's okay that I posted this? Because see, a lot of times my wife will 
get ready to say something or get ready to post something or get ready to do something. I'll go, well, you know how that'll be perceived. And then sometimes she says, oh, yeah, that's a good point. And then other times she goes, I don't care how it's perceived because that's who I am. And so I don't mind if I'm being perceived in actuality like the way I am. And then I don't have a comeback for that because I kind of like the way she is. And so then I know that I'm going to be like a Pharisee if I come back. So I leave it alone. So anyway, she says to me on Saturday morning, do you think it's okay that I posted this? Now, I want you to focus your attention on one word. Actually, the end of one word. The id part of post it posted because what that indicates to me and I'm not a grammarian but what it indicates to me is that it's already been done is that she's asking is it okay but what she means is I did it I hope it's okay and if it's not too bad I already did that's what it means and so what she had posted was a picture of me from Friday night when we were out on our date and I was kind of trying to hurry because we were running late because we were going on a double date and there's a there's a nice smooth parking lot that you can go through at Del Mar and Midland that will help you avoid the traffic signal if you can make a right when the, re- the light is red. You know what I mean. And so I just thought, why don't I just cut through there? And what the two police officers thought when they were sitting there watching me cut through is that they should turn on their lights and pull me over uh, on, on Del Mar Boulevard, which they did. So they pulled me over because I cut through is made an illegal right turn. I did this whole thing. Um, we can get into the technicalities, but we don't need to do that. Did it technically say you can't get? Well, anyway, but anyway, but anyway. So, so I get pulled over and the, poli- the first police officer walks up and says exactly what I would expect. He says, hello, sir, can I have your, your driver's license and your, you know, your, your insurance? And I said, sure. The second police officer, you know, the one that came up on the passenger side, said something I didn't expect. She looked in and she said, oh, hi, pastor. Because she goes to our church. Um, It's like when those two worlds collide, like your driving world collapses with your church world and everything comes together at once. Patricia Granberry, hashtag amazing police officer. Um, and, And so the reality is I will not, I will not pull through that parking lot ever again to avoid the light, okay? Because God can only heal what you or your wife will reveal. That's just the way it works, right? Here's here's the reality. Jesus is upset at the Pharisees, not because they're involved in religious rituals. It's not the ritual that's the problem. It's what the ritual is doing. The ritual, in this case, is, is covering the corruption in their heart. It's an external performance that hides an internal corruption. Do you understand? They're saying, why are you washing? Why don't you guys wash your hands? He's saying, why don't you wash your heart? Like, like you're washing your hands. You want clean hands. I want you to have a clean heart. A lot of times in our life, we cover, we compensate for our problems because we don't want anybody to see them. The problem is that when you compensate for a problem, you actually camouflage the problem. You don't heal it. You just hide it. Right? And what the Pharisees are doing with all of these rites and rituals is they're actually compensating for something bigger and they're hiding the bigger thing. And Jesus says, I'm not down for that. I'm not down for hiding the real thing by some little small thing. Right? I want some exposure of what's really happening in your life. Um, when, we, when we compensate for it, we camouflage it. I had an 86 Subaru years ago when I was 
living in LA. I was broke. I had no money. I bought this car for 80, or for, it was an 86. I bought it, <laughs> bought it for $800. It took me like four years to pay it off. I mean, it was just like, it was hard. And, and, and this car was not a good car. I mean, it got me from A to Z, but I remember at one point I smelled something that smelled like it was burning in the car. It smelled like it was burning. And so I thought, well, you know, you got two choices. You can either figure out what smells like it's burning or you can do what I did, which is go to the gas station and get like the lemon lime air fresheners that hang from the <laughs> rear view mirror with the little elastic string. And you can, you can compensate for the smell by camouflaging the smell. You know what I mean? But guess what? When you camouflage the smell, it doesn't, it doesn't make the problem go away. It, it doesn't make the thing go away. Sometimes we compensate. We compensate for what's inside by what we're doing outside. We try to, we're not, we're not addressing the attitude or the conflict or the hurt or the pain or the guilt or the sin or the shame, but we compensate for it by putting a little dance on on the outside and we're camouflaging what's going on on the inside. The problem is though, when you camouflage it, you actually just complicate it. You camouflage the problem. It doesn't make it go away. It doesn't cure it. It actually complicates it. Because I kept driving, and now I can't smell the problem as much because there's the lemon-lime camouflage happening. Meanwhile, the engine block is getting more and more cracked until at one point, boom, a plume of smoke rolls out from under the hood of my 86 Subaru while I'm driving down Santa Monica Boulevard because I ignored the problem for so long that it co got complicated. You delay, the, you delay the solution and then the dilemma gets worse, right? Just because you hide the symptoms doesn't mean you hide the sickness. It's still there. And, and so now my car is busted and breaking down because I tried to camouflage it. I tried to hide it. And it, it didn't fix it. It didn't cure it. It made it worse. It complicated the problem. I was with a group of pastors a couple weeks ago, and we were all talking about St. Louis as a city. And we were talking about, uh, you know, the ways that we are trying as church leaders in this city to bring healing and wholeness and, and peace and justice and, and hope to our city, because that's, that's our job as pastors. And so we're all getting together and we're having this discussion. And there was a pastor that's not from St. Louis. Um, he wasn't a pastor. He's a minister that's not from St. Louis. And, and he asked us, he said, he said, my question, he said, I have a question. He said, what, what was it like in St. Louis uh, after, the, after everything that happened in Ferguson? What was it like trying to lead churches in St. Louis after August 2014? And I said, you know, we started talking about it. And one of the things that I said, I said, I said, you know, if there was one pinprick of hope, if there was one tiny little positive thing that came out of that tragic situation, it's that, at least in my estimation, it's that there had been a bandage over a deep wound in our city, a bandage over a, a, a wound of, 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 of racial injustice and oppression and, and pain. And what happened after Ferguson, at least in my estimation, is that, is that that bandage was ripped off and the wound was exposed. And I said, if there's any value in what happened, it's that, it's that for the first time, a wound was exposed to some people that didn't know there was a wound. And whether a person actually knew there was a wound depended entirely upon which side of the bandage they lived on and what side of the bandage they experienced in their life. If they always lived on the outside of the bandage, they didn't know there was a wound. 
Come on, somebody. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? They didn't know there was a wound. They didn't really see the wound. So they didn't realize there was a wound. So they were surprised. But if you'd ever been up under the bandage and had any experience under the bandage where the wound was, when the bandage came off, you weren't surprised that there was a wound. You knew there was a wound the whole time. But when the bandage came off, everybody got to see, oh, there's some deep wounds in this city. And there's some deep wounds in this country. And there's some deep wounds in the church globally and, and, and nationally. And when that bandage comes off, okay, now maybe we can begin to address the wound collectively. But it can only happen when the bandage came off. Because God can only heal what we are willing to reveal. You understand? The bandage comes off. And what I believe for each and every one of us is that there are some things in our life, our personal life. There are some things in our community. There are things in our schools and in our jobs and, and, and wherever it is that we interact and where we live and in churches where if we don't, if we are not willing to look at the problem, the problem isn't going to get healed. The problem will not get healed because we won't reveal it. Right? One of the, one of the most beautiful stories in the scripture is when Jesus interacts with somebody who is at the far polar opposite end of, uh, of, the, uh, of the political spectrum of the Pharisees. Uh, he's, he, the way he interacts with what were called the untouchables is so powerful. It's just an amazing... The untouchables were a group of people that had leprosy in the first century, and there was no cure for it. Leprosy is like a slow growing bacteria that would get on the skin and it would get into the membranes of the eyes and the mouth and the nose and it was terribly disfiguring and it would get into the nerve endings and if you've ever seen pictures of anybody with leprosy, uh, man, it's just absolutely terrifying because their body just becomes disfigured. And so in, in the first century, there was no cure and so people would just, you know, they, they quarantined them. The, the response was go hide yourself. Go get away from us. Go live in a commune by yourself. We don't want to see you because you're, you're defiled and we don't want to be around you. So go cover, go hide, go disguise. In fact, the, the actual uh, prescription was to put a mask over your face. You put a mask over your face and then if anybody came near you, you would shout, unclean, unclean, and you would, you would retreat and you would hide. You were not allowed to get within a certain distance of, of, some, of somebody who didn't have leprosy if you had leprosy. And so, so, they would, so their whole life was about hiding and about camouflaging and about compensating and covering. That was their whole life. And there's this amazing moment, and I, I think it's Matthew 8, where a leper just does the upside-down thing that he's not supposed to do, that's totally against the rules, it's totally against the customs, it's totally against society. The scripture says this. It says, a man with leprosy came... And knelt before Jesus. Now, let me pause. Because the, the big word there, knelt is important. But the fact that he came to instead of running from, that's, that in and of itself, that should just blow your mind. Because his job, his, his order was, if there's anybody around, especially a holy person like Jesus, like somebody like a rabbi, like somebody, you need to get as far away from him as possible because you don't want your defilement to get on him. You need to run from So this leper says, you know what? I'm going to do this upside down. I'm going to run to Jesus and I'm going to kneel down before Jesus and I'm going to expose the ugliest part of my life as close as I can get. I'm going to just put it right up there in front of Jesus. He said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. 
Now, I told you at the beginning of the sermon that I was going to get back to this hand-washing thing, right? What's the big deal about you didn't wash your hands before you went back, you know, before you, before you ate? Like, what, what's, what is, why is that so profound, right? The reality is the Pharisees were actually not worried about dirt. They were worried about defilement. They were worried about the idea that if you unintentionally brushed up against somebody who was of a lower class than you or who was untouchable or who was a woman or who was not Jewish or who was a Samaritan or who was in any way below you, you might be defiled by them. In other words, their dirtiness, their thing would get on you. So you got to wash your hands so that you didn't bring that defilement inside of your body. Are you tracking with me? It wasn't talking about hygiene. It was talking about hierarchy. So you need to wash your hands because somebody below you may have inadvertently run into you at the market and you need to get rid of the stain of having touched them, right? So there's, that's why it's important to them. Why aren't you washing your hands? Don't you understand that there's a hierarchy here? Don't you understand that you can be defiled by touching somebody who's defiled and you don't want that defilement to come into you? But Jesus does something that's totally upside down because he says, not only am I not going to wash my hands for this defilement argument, this defilement idea, but I'm going to do some, I'm going to take, I'm going to, I'm going to double down. I'm going to go something a little further. And it says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man, touched him. Now this is to you and me like, okay, for that to happen in that day, that's absolutely radical and revolutionary. You're not supposed to touch someone that's defiled. You're supposed to wash your hands if you even get near somebody that's defiled. Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to touch you. Today, somebody, somebody here that needs to come to Jesus and go, here's my stuff. Here's my shame. Here's my pain. Here's my guilt. Here's my fear. Here's my anxiety. Here's the thing that I don't want anybody to see. Here's the thing that I don't want to show anybody. I'm just going to come to you. I'm going to kneel before you and I'm going to expose it to you. I'm not going to put on a front. I'm not going to try to cover. I'm not going to try to fake it. I just want you to touch the part of me that is the most broken and is the most ugly and is the most corrupt because it says, I am willing, Jesus said, be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. Like that. Right? Because he allowed Jesus to touch him. Right? When you confess it, then he can cure it. When you conceal it, you complicate it, you don't cure it. But when you confess it, that's when you can cure it. When you say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expose the inside of you. This is why Jesus is, is a different kind of king than any other king. Most kings are not worried about what you think of them or what you believe about them. They want your land. They want your taxes. They want your money. They want your obedience. And they want you to sign up for their army. Okay? Jesus says, I'm a different kind of king. I want your heart. I want what's inside of you. I want you to come to me with all of the stuff that you would normally hide from anybody else because you, you're afraid that you'll be rejected. Bring me the thing that you're afraid that everyone will reject you for. Bring me that. That's what I want because I can cleanse that. I can purify that. One of the crazy things that Jesus said, and I'm going to close. One of the crazy things that he said, he was, he was, he was eating at a guy named Levi's house and there were all these like sinners and publicans and tax collectors and 
just the motley crew were all around him. And this, the same little posse of Pharisees and, and you know, uh, religious elites came and they asked his disciples, why does he do this? Why does he spend time with like the lowest of the low in society? Why does he keep doing that? And Jesus said something interesting. He said, I have come not for the well, but for the sick. He said, I'm, I'm calling not the righteous, but I'm calling sinners unto repentance. And that, that scripture always kind of got me because I kind of thought to myself, well, but, the, but the, the Pharisees were sinners too. Like the Pharisees were also sick, right? So why is he saying, why is he calling them righteous and why is he calling them well? And it's, it's not because they are righteous and because they are well. It's because they think they're righteous and they think they're well. And so they won't reveal the thing that needs to be healed. And so he goes, look, I'm not calling. I'm, I can't, I'm not going to heal you if you don't want me to. I'm not going to heal you if you think you're already healed. I'm not going to save you if you think you're already delivered. I need you to bring me the part of you that you don't want, that you don't like, that you're afraid of, that makes you, that that scares you, that is ugly, that is broken. I want that part of you because if you'll bring that to me, I'll heal you. That's why Jesus liked people that were like overtly sinners because it was really obvious. They were like, yo, I'm not even trying to. I can't even fake it. Here's my stuff. And he would just reach out and he would save them and he would come after them. I think today there's all of us, especially those of us who are kind of religious. We've got to be careful not to go down the path of the Pharisee and put on the front and act like everything is cool. We've got to be saying, if Jesus is going to be our our king, if we're going to live an upside down world, we got to be able to go, God, uh, here's everything. Here's me. Here's the good stuff. Here's the bad stuff. Here's the ugly stuff. It's all right there. When Jesus was about to die, last thing I'm going to say, when Jesus was about to die, he was standing in trial and Pontius Pilate was the governor and Pontius Pilate was, was overseeing his trial and Pontius Pilate at the end of the trial, he said, you know, I, I don't know what to do. Like, I can't really find guilt with this guy, but you guys want to kill him. And so he says, you know what? Bring me a bowl. Bring me a bowl. And his servants brought him a bowl. And you know what he, you know what he did? He washed his hands. Pontius Pilate. He washed his hands. Why? Because he's, he's washing away the appearance of guilt. He's washing away the feeling of guilt. Right? But just because you've washed away the feeling doesn't mean you've washed away the fact. And Jesus is sitting right there And Pilate's got very clean hands at that moment, but his heart is corrupt. If he really wanted healing, if he really wanted cleansing, the great physician is right in front of him. And he could have said, you know what? I'm going to put my faith in you, Jesus. I'm going to put my hope. I'm going to put my trust in you. And it wouldn't have just been his hands that were healed, cleansed. It would have been his heart that was cleansed. His heart would have been purified. Because the blood of Jesus is what cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It just flows over us. The the scripture, Isaiah says this, your sins, though they be as scarlet, will be made white as snow. And though they be red as crimson, they shall be made white as wool. But Jesus is saying, look, I want you from the inside out. I want all of you. I want you to bring me the most broken part of you and let me transform you from the inside out. Because then when you do that, 
The scripture says that out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. You'll become a cleansing agent for the next person that you interact with. It'll pour out of you and it'll pour onto somebody else. And before you know it, man, we are healing and we're bringing hope and we're bringing strength and peace and justice and we're transforming a community. Why? Because we're willing to reveal the very thing that needs to be healed in our life. This is my prayer for you today that whoever you are, wherever you are, if you've been a Christian a million years or you're brand new to this, that you would open your heart today and say, God, I want you to cleanse me from the inside out. I want you to make me whole. I want you to be my king. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we are just so thankful for your words that are in some ways encouraging, sometimes offensive, always inspiring, always healing. I pray, Lord God, that each and every one of us would be willing today to open up our lives to receive just a little bit more of who you are and receive your strength and your peace and your righteousness, that we wouldn't be reliant upon our own righteousness, looking down upon those who we don't think are as righteous as us, but that we would be renewed by your righteousness, by allowing you to heal the very part of us, Lord, that we don't want to expose to anyone else. God, I just pray that your spirit would enter our hearts today. Bring us closer to you. Bring us closer to one another in love. We pray this, Lord, to your honor, to your praise, and to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.